0: Hey guys, Angela here. I just wanted to say I'm so excited about this upcoming episode with Danae. Even if you don't have kids, listen to it because she has some amazing tips on life in general. It's a little bit of a longer episode because there was so much good stuff to talk about. And my audio is just a little bit low because I did not have my microphone set up correctly. So I apologize, but I hope you enjoy the show. better and then like we're eating chips in the corner so
1: Luke doesn't see us you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly this is something that's important for you you've got to stand up for it and you've got to be clear about it oh good I love this <laughs> if we really want our kids to be confident in their abilities and their bodies we need to believe in them and we need to let them take risks
0: Wagner,
1: and I'm Danae Barahona,
0: and together we're here as your host for a mix of happy hour style venting and results-based coaching. Spark is a judgment-free space where we'll chat about both the brilliant bits of life as well as the bits that are a little more sucky. With lightness, laughter, and the belief that there's no such thing as oversharing, we'll guide you in finding clear paths out of murky messes and toward discovering inspiration in everyday moments. This week, I'm so excited to have a conversation with Dr. Danae Barahona of Simple Families. She is an expert in all things parenting and has been my go-to for advice on raising my kiddos. So welcome, Danae.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Angela.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. So I've talked about you a lot on the podcast whenever I have a sucky moment that involves my kids.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love to hear that. Thank you. Yes.
0: I've given you some shout outs and I think our listeners kind of know a little bit about the background and I did share with them how you helped me get Luke to sleep. Oh, it was my pleasure. Yeah, so our life has changed for now. We are, well, for now, you know, then tomorrow will yeah. be something else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just when you have one thing covered, it's definitely something else. I know. It's always learning. So I'll give them a little more specific information
0: on you. So Dr. Danae Barahona is a loving wife and mama of two. She is a motherhood coach who partners with women to tackle the challenges of raising children. She is a minimalist who claims to be a decluttering expert. Don't let her near your closet. She loves to travel, talk health and wellness, and give unsolicited advice. She is a top contributor for the Today Show parenting team and holds a PhD in child development and is a clinical social worker with a specialty in child and family practice. Wow. Oh my gosh. You have a lot going on. A very rich and full life. So tell me a little bit about kind of all of that.
1: So I guess, take it back, my career has always been in working with children and families who are facing challenges. And I started off working with adolescents, and I've slowly, over the years, worked back younger and younger. And that's because I've really found, and I think as all the research will show us, that the younger we start intervening with our kids and we start making these positive contributions to their lives and being really purposeful, the more impactful it will be as they get older. So I really love working with parents of young children now, and that's where most of my time and energy goes.
0: Yeah. And you have, how old are your kiddos? They're young, right?
1: Yeah. My daughter's one and a half and my son is almost four. Oh gosh. We're almost in parallel lives. That's crazy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, a, there's a lot going on in those little worlds, aren't there?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And most of it we don't understand. And some of it we, I feel like shouldn't even try to understand. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. A lot going
0: on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm amazed. And I think I really haven't been around kids. I mean, I was around kids a lot when I was younger and I babysat all the time. And then I had such a huge gap between that time of my life and being a parent, because I mean, I'm 40 now. So I mean, I was like late 30s having kids. So it was a little bit of a shock to me. And my husband, who has never been around kids, we were like, Oh, we don't know what we're doing.
1: <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. I think that's the sentiment that most parents feel once they I mean, it's like this new job that you're taking on that you have no training for. And it's the most important job that you'll ever have.
0: I know. And that's the thing. That's why I just really want to thank you for what you do. Because I mean, you guys, anyone that's a parent or thinking of becoming a parent, or if you babysit, we'll talk more about how to get in touch with her. But her podcast is amazing. All the stuff on your blog, because it's so well, I love your approach, because it's so simple. Obviously, the, the name is Simple Families. But to me, it's practical. And so much of what you say really resonates with me. And it's like different than a lot of like what we were taught in the past to do, you know,
1: Yes. And part of that, my background, I actually started off as a behavior therapist. So I worked with parents who had children with severe behavior problems. So I was using a very practical, straightforward approach with this is the behavior, this is how you treat it, this is how you can change it. Really focusing on behavior management and behavior change. And then when I had my own kids, I felt like I was still applying some of those methodologies and those strategies, but I wanted it to be more in a personal, empathetic way. My approach has slowly transitioned, so it does have a lot of that practical behavioral slant to it, but in a way where I really think that we should focus on being connected to our kids and being purposeful in our interactions with them. So I've kind of blended the two worlds of positive parenting and behaviorism, which sometimes are conflicting. So you'll find parenting experts on one side of the token and on the other side of the token. And since my background is in both sides, I feel like finding that middle ground has really been the key for me and for my audience.
0: Okay. Can you give us an example where there's kind
1: of two conflicting... Sure. So an example of this would be with sleep training. And there are a lot of experts out there who say you've got to let your kid cry it out. And then there's a lot of experts out there that say kids should never be left to cry it out. And I believe in finding a middle ground. So really finding a way to connect with your child and to meet all of their needs, but at the same time, understanding that crying is a form of communication. And it's a form of communication for kids who aren't yet fully verbal and who can't really explain or truly understand everything that's going on inside their little bodies. So some amounts of crying is completely normal and it's healthy for well-adjusted kids. So my approach to sleep training does usually involve some crying and knowing that it's a healthy thing for kids to cry a little bit and for them to learn to work through that. And that's a natural part of the process. So but at the same time, acknowledging that we're not just going to let kids scream their head off and manage their problems that way. So how do we be present, but at the same time, set firm, loving boundaries for our kids?
0: Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. That's one of the things I think I was so surprised at when I started doing all this research. As soon as I had Luke, I was just bought like every book. because so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then, <laughs> and then just the, the the difference. And obviously, it's, you know, just like anything, there's so many different opinions. But I mean, it was literally like, you do this, or you're a terrible person, you know, and then like, oh, I always tell every new parent, do not go on the mean blogs. Like there's blogs where people are so judgmental and mean, you know, about if you do it this way, you know, you're awful. And I'm like, oh, don't just don't do it. Don't go on there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And there's, it's interesting, especially with the online community that I've found that there, I'm a member of a lot of Facebook groups and I just sort of lurk in the shadows and kind of read what the parents are talking about and the way they're discussing it. Cause I really want to know how parents think and what they're reading and what they know and what they don't know and try to find that gap in knowledge and try to meet meet those needs. So one example of this is with baby led weaning, which is an approach to starting solid foods. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. It was part of my dissertation research. And I'll watch people online discuss baby led weaning. And it's essentially you just give your kids whole foods. You don't know, puree foods. So you give them whole foods starting at six months and they learn how to chew and they learn how to process textures and that sort of thing from a very early age. Now, there is a whole community, tens of thousands of people online that have made up these arbitrary rules in this baby led weaning Facebook group that says if you give your baby a puree, then you're not doing baby led weaning. <laughs> So you're not a baby led wiener. And it's sort of this, it's, it become like this group. So he's like you are, or you aren't. And it's absolutely not true. There is no truth to that. And it doesn't, if, even if there was, it doesn't really matter. You can give your baby any combination of foods that they can chew or not chew in the grand scheme of things. It's not going to make any difference, but yet somehow this group of tens of thousands of parents have contrived these arbitrary rules that says, if you're giving your kids solid food, you cannot give them any pureed food. But it's just I kind of wonder where these things came from.
0: Yeah. And the judgment out there is really awful. Like I couldn't, and you know, especially when you first have a baby, you're so hormonal. I mean, just, I went to this breastfeeding group and I had a really tough time nursing. I mean, I saw all these lactation consultants and my, I was wearing the nipple shield and I mean, I, and I was so committed to my mom and my husband kept saying like, just don't you just like, just don't like it's not working. And I'm like, no, you know, so I, I like did everything I could possibly do. And I went to a meeting, a lactation meeting. I can't remember what the group is that, that big group. What's the big? Oh, La Leche League. Yeah, La Leche League. And it was so judgmental, these women. I mean, it was really funny. And I'm sure they're not all like that. But the director was telling this story. Um, and they were doing some helpful things. They were like, you know, how do you take a shower now that you have a kid? And how do you do this? And we were just talking about practical things you never think about now that you have a, a baby. And so she was talking about, like, how do you go to the store? And she gave an example. Of, like, every time she'd go to Target, she'd buy a small popcorn and a soda. That's how long she had to go through. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, and she was like, "Oh, and my friends were judging me." And she's like, "But you give your kid formula, don't judge." And I was like, "Oh God, okay." You're, <laughs> she was literally comparing formula to a Coke, and I'm like, "Okay, stop." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because I actually read a breastfeeding book by the Leche League um, before I had my first baby. It was called The Art of Breastfeeding. And it was an incredible book full of so much good information, but it was so stinking judgmental. Like I was offended when I was reading it. It was like, if you get an epidural or if you have a C-section, then you're going to have problems. And it was just very judgmental. It was very my way or the highway. And I recommend the book to others with the disclaimer that, you know, it's a little preachy and it's not necessarily based on research. So take it at a grain of salt, but it has a lot of good information in it. So but that's hard. Sort of weeding through what's worth listening to and what you really need to tune out for your own sanity is hard, especially for a new parent to know.
0: Yes. I mean that's true. And again, I really all my friends I'm like, listen, your hormones are insane. So like everything seems so much more intense when you read it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> when gonna, you're in, yeah. in it. Like, I'm going to ruin my child's life if I give him this formula. like, no. And then I remember thinking, my mom was like, you were on formula. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Okay. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Life's going to be okay. And it was interesting because I I got through it with Luke, and I ended up nursing him for nine months. And then with Zoe, we couldn't. Like, medically, we couldn't after a month. And so I had to give her this elemental stuff and all that. And she's fine, you know.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. In the grand scheme of things, it will pass and it won't be that big of a deal. But when you're in it in the moment, it seems like and it is it's the whole world. It's the biggest deal, especially when it's something that you've built up in your mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm really interested. I have so many questions for you. So we may or may not get into like the official like, we may not do all the sucky moment and all that because I just want to keep asking you questions because you're just a wealth of knowledge. But I'm interested in like when you became a minimalist. And it's funny, we've had a couple guests on the show. That are either organizers or minimalists, and Nicole, my co-host, who she just had a baby. I just met baby yesterday. Um, oh, exciting! I know the baby came three and a half weeks early, so she's a little surprised.
1: <laughs> of course. Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. So she's really bummed to miss this one. She was really excited to meet you, but um, so she's really become a minimalist, and I'm not a minimalist, but I'm we're very like swiftly moving in the direction of of that kind of lifestyle. So. Tell me, kind of how that happened and why.
1: Sure. So I have a lifetime of clutter built up. I mean, when I was that kid who your parents opened the closet door and everything fell out on you, literally, like everything would fall out. I collected anything from stickers to stamps to, like you name it, everything. (laughs) Um, And I had a lifetime of my mom nagging me. I hope she's not listening to this. (laughs) Um, Of my mom nagging me to clean up my room, and it's something that when I look back at my childhood, is something that really stands out to me, this constant, your room is a mess, clean up your room. And it was just, it really weighed on me. And it's not that I wanted to be messy or even that I liked being messy. It's that I just didn't know how to clean it up. I didn't know how to do any different. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I started to discover I had a messy room because I had too much stuff it was way overwhelming for a kid to be able to manage all the stuff that I had in this bedroom space that I had, or even in a whole house. So, you know, and I didn't want to recreate that with my kids. And I hadn't really thought a whole lot about it until I had my first son. And we sort of stumbled into a Montessori playgroup and were introduced to the concept of Montessori, which is by the nature of it, a very minimalist approach to education and an approach to child rearing. And I completely fell in love. And my husband is always sort of more lean towards a minimalist slant. But I think that once I saw the benefits of children spending time in a very clean, clear Montessori space and how engaged the kids were and how much they were learning in this simple area, it started to really appeal to me. And I started to look more into the benefits of living without clutter and starting down that path?
0: Wow. Okay. So this is so exciting for me because my kids go to a Montessori three days a week and I didn't know much about it when they started. One of my friends had been in early childhood education and there was basically the, honestly, the Montessori is like a block from us. So I was like, Hey Monica, what do you think of the school? <laughs> it's really close to me and it'd be very convenient. And so she gave me a lot of the benefits, but I really, I just was like, okay, we'll try it. And I love it. And I think it's really, really helped my son a lot. And I didn't even realize it was like a minimalist sort of approach, but it's very like independently led, right?
1: Absolutely. And if you go into a Montessori classroom, you immediately notice the difference from a traditional preschool classroom in the sense that there's a lot less stuff in there, and the stuff that they have is very simple and straightforward. It is by nature the classrooms you'll see are very minimalist, and it really allows children to focus on one thing at a time. So the idea is you get out one piece of work, they call the items in the room work rather than toys. You get out one piece of work, you work on it, and when you're done, you put it right back where you got it from. So it sets up this dynamic for kids that you're not just throwing things around and you're not misusing your toys. You are being really purposeful in the way that you're interacting with your possessions and you're taking really good care of them so that you don't leave them laying around on the floor and end up stepping on them and breaking them.
0: Yes, because sometimes we'll go and observe and we can observe like through the secret window so the kids don't know we're there. But I remember the first time we went when Luke was a little younger, we could not believe how like chill he was and how focused and then he'd put it back and then go get another thing and that's when we realized we were like we need to start asking him to do that at home like we don't need to be picking up everything for him and like even when he was going to the bathroom and stuff my dad had gone to pick him up and he watched him go do everything himself and he goes we're just doing too much for him aren't we and and they they even said that to us in our little conference they were like he can do it all. He does it very slowly and very thoughtfully, but he knows that you're going to do it for him. So he, he plays into that at home, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about Montessori is that the teachers are almost always in accredited schools, at least, are very educated. And they're really wonderful at giving feedback like that and noticing that sort of thing. And, you know, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, like when you're in the thick of it, you don't always notice those type of things. So it helps to have another person who's observant and can watch your children and say like, hey, maybe you could try this differently. And you'll see a lot of changes and a lot of benefits. So...
0: Yeah, they yeah. are really good. It's inter- I don't really know like the background of all of that. But when we interviewed the school, the owner had said like we're one of the only accredited in the area. But I was like, there's Montessori everywhere. But I guess they're not. Or how can you put the name Montessori on something if you're not accredited? Do you know?
1: You can just hang up a sign. I mean, I could just walk out and hang up a sign outside my door that says, Danae's Montessori school and start a Montessori school. Um, unfortunately, it's not regulated. Oh, that's so terrible. Yeah. What happens a lot of times is you'll have a daycare or a traditional school that knows that Montessori schools can command a premium. And so they call themselves a Montessori school and they don't really have any proper training or accreditation. And they aren't really a Montessori school, even though they have Montessori in their name. So, but they charge more too, as a result, usually.
0: Oh yeah. This place isn't cheap, but okay. So that's a great tip for parents looking into that is because I remember her saying like, this was important that they were accredited and I believed her, you know, but
1: yeah. It's very important.
0: Okay. Well, that makes me feel better when I write the check every month. (laughs) You're
1: paying for teachers' salaries who have spent years of learning and being educated in this approach.
0: Yeah. And I do like – it's funny because some parents in the neighborhood are like, oh, well, they're a little – I can't remember the word that one of the parents used on our our parent Facebook group. But it – not harsh, but like something, you know, where they're not like – as lovey. And I thought, you know, there's, I don't find them harsh at all, but I find them just very straight and to the point. And I think my kids need that.
1: Yeah, I need that. Like, I think (laughs) I have a hard time with people who beat around the bush. And like, if there's something I need to do differently with my kids, or if there's something you're noticing with my kid, just tell me like, I just want you to be straight with me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, you know, there's plenty of the other thing going on, right? Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now. And then did you kind of just At one time when you had your – your son was your firstborn, right? Yes. When you had your son, were you just like, okay, now we're minimalists, Or like how did that transition? So
1: I started to slowly, very slowly appreciate the benefits of having less. So we – completely revamped our play area and our toys so that we were really focused on having fewer and organizing them in a way that was really approachable for him as a very young child to access them and to put them away. So having just a handful of things on a shelf at a level where he could reach them on his own and access them on his own. And then when he was done, put them back on his own. And so seeing him learn to get things out and put them away really inspired me to learn how to get things out and put them away <laughs> because like I said, I have I've had a lifetime of clutter where not everything had its place. So when it came time to put things away, they didn't really have a place to go other than, you know, shoved in a drawer at the top of the closet or under the bed, that sort of thing. So it really inspired me to think like, if I'm ever going to teach my kids to put things away and clean up after themselves, I'm going to have to start figuring out how to do it myself.
0: I know there's so many things like that with kids where I'm like, I want you to eat better. And then, like, my husband and I are like, we're eating chips in the corner so Luke doesn't see us, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going like, okay, maybe we need to change what we're doing here.
1: Exactly. We are the models. And that's one of the biggest things that I always tell parents is that whatever you're doing, your kids are going to do. You can't hide anything from them. If you think you're hiding it, you're wrong.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. No, they are. They're so observant, you know? It's really unbelievable.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, so we worked through the toys. And then I stumbled upon the concept of a capsule wardrobe and completely got rid of all of my clothes. I Well, 90% of my clothes, I kept about 10% and cleaned out my closet. And I think those two experiences, redoing our toy area and my closet really gave me a taste for what it feels like to live lighter. And as soon as you've tasted that and like, and you get a sense of how good it feels, you just want to do everything. So from then I did my closet and I was so inspired and like, wow, this is amazing. Like, let's do this. And then it was my mission that I was just like, I was going to do everything. So top to bottom, every closet, the attic, you name it. We, um, got rid of a lot of stuff. But unfortunately, the first time that we did it, I was reading The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which is really inspirational. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like she touches enough on how to stay decluttered once decluttered. I agree. Yeah, things were coming in as fast as they were going out. so we had a hard time sticking with it. And it wasn't until probably months, maybe a year or so later that I realized that in order to stay decluttered and to really start living the simple life at home, as far as our material possessions are concerned, we had to change the way that we were buying. We had to buy more intentionally. And that was the biggest change that once we got rid of the stuff, we had to keep the stuff from coming into our house.
0: Yes, so I love that you say that because I think that's so common. That happened to me for probably like four years, and then I read her book, and then I do like her follow. Have you read Spark Joy, her follow-up book? I did not read that. So that one I like. I feel like you need to like they need to be together because the second one really gives you all the how. Because I feel like the first one tells you what to do, but not you don't be like well. But how do I do all that stuff? You know. So she gets a lot more specific into like what's in each category and how do you actually do this. But I totally agree. And I work with my clients all the time on this now. And it's actually like, I'm so excited because I'm creating this new program and it's the first module. And what I find, because what I do is coaching and then also like the yoga mindset stuff is so much of what I was, the reason that I was buying more stuff was really what was important, right? So getting into like digging a little deeper as to like, what am I constantly trying to feed or fill in my life? And what does that then mean for me, right? So like, I kept realizing, like, I know I'm anxious because I have all this stuff, but like the life of the stuff, like the amount of time I spend researching and the amount of time I spend buying it or going out and getting it, then the amount of time I spend figuring out how to clean it and where to put it. And then like the whole life cycle of it is insane. And so now when I look at it, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to buy this thing on Amazon, let me really think about what this means for my life, (laughs) you know?
1: Yes, exactly. It's funny this week, my husband, um, we were sitting on the sofa after the kids went to bed and he was researching keychains and he wants to get a new keychain. He had decided, I don't even know what, oh, we had lost both of the key fobs for our car. So we had been using our valet key for a few months. So we finally got new key fobs. And now he's got this new key fob and no keychain. He's like, I need a keychain. So he was like really getting into the research on keychains and trying to find the perfect keychain. And he's like showing me all these keychains. And I'm like, you know, just because you found the perfect keychain doesn't mean that you need it, right? Just because you spent all this time researching it doesn't make this a necessity. Like, do you really need a keychain, especially like this, like, well-researched perfect keychain? I don't know. It's debatable. It's
0: debatable. I know. I mean, and I think like when you do live really simply and intentionally, then you can look at something like that and go, maybe I don't need it, but I really want it. And it'll like really
1: bring me joy. And that's fine. Yeah, you know, I agree. And uh, I told him, like, put it on your Christmas list. That'd be a perfect gift for someone to buy you something like this, you know, something that you don't really need, but it would make you extra happy if you had it.
0: Yes. Yeah, so okay, so this is what I want to ask you about. So I haven't told the listeners this yet. But so my husband and I went to Tahoe and it was our first vacation in the year without the kids. And we, well, we get real clear when we're away from them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we were in the mountains. and yeah, Oh, my gosh. So and my husband's the same, like with your husband, he's just really like, he would be a minimalist in two seconds. Like, he doesn't care about stuff at all. So he's like, this is great. He loves it, it, that we're doing this. And so, so we have. Both sets of grandparents live very close to us, and they're very, very involved with our kids' lives. It's amazing. So my dad and my mother-in-law are the two culprits. (laughs) They are like, they are the buyers. So my dad buys Luke, like anything and everything, you know, all the stuff he loves, golf, sports, you name it. And then Sharon, my mother-in-law, just, she loves to buy clothes for Zoe, and she just, their house, and it's a big house, right? So they have a 4,000 square foot house. I think actually right by where you used to live, they live like Preston Forest area. Oh, yeah but so she has like the room. And so I don't think she realizes like how much stuff is accumulating, but every time I go over there, there's just more toys. And so we're, I'm getting a little stressed about it because, well, there's a lot of different reasons, but I'm starting to see like, there's sort of an expectation that like when Nana and Papa or Pops and granny go out of town, like, Oh, what do I get when they get back? You know? And I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, what did you bring me? And, and then just like, So I don't buy any clothes at all. I have all hand-me-downs, and then the grandparents buy so much. And so I literally, one day, I have this picture of me in the living room. Danae, I was so stressed. There were bags of clothes around me. I hadn't bought any of them. And I was like, John, this has to stop. Like, I, I can't spend this much of my time cleaning all this out. You know what I mean? Yes. So... We decided that we were gonna ask them and ourselves from now until Christmas, no buying anything. Like, nothing is allowed to be purchased unless it's an absolute need and it has to go through us first.
1: (laughs) How do we approach this with them? (laughs) So I think that, you know, and it depends on the person. So I think if you have, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, like I'm pretty direct. So I prefer people just to be direct with me. I like to mirror the style of the person that I am talking to. So if your mother-in-law is someone who is a little bit gentler and I hate to say kinder, but just a little bit more nurturing and gentle, she might need a little bit of a softer approach. So you sure. might start. you might start with being like, you know... Actually, it probably wouldn't hurt to start like this with anyone. You know, I so appreciate the gifts and the wonderful things that you bring to the lives of our children, and 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 when I say that, I mean the gifts of your time and your presence and all of the wonderful qualities that you yourself enrich our children's lives with. But also the physical things, you know, the gifts and the clothes and the toys and that sort of thing. The kids always enjoy those sort of things, but we're really trying to work towards teaching our kids to live with less and teaching them to really appreciate having a few really nice things a really of a really high quality things rather than having a lot of things that they don't necessarily take care of and don't value quite as much. So I think really giving them a good explanation. So being straight enough to the point where you're saying this is purposeful, this is intentional, this is something that we are integrating into our family values Mm -hmm. rather than just being like, you know, let's stop buying for a couple of months, really kind of giving them sort of like in a tweet format, like in a very short, concise format. We're trying to buy our kids less so that they can learn how to take care of a few high quality items rather than having a lot of little things floating around that they don't care quite as much about. And they're not taking care of and honoring as well. Yeah. Um. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But what it comes down to for me is these conversations are hard. And whether it's talking about, you know, buying too much stuff or whatever it is, it really the fundamental thing is that if this truly is something that your family values and you want this to be part of a value that you're instilling in your kids, you have to be willing to stand up for it. Mm-hmm. Because as your kids grow, there's going to be a lot of things that come along in their lives, a lot of people that come along in their lives that are challenging the values that you've instilled in them. And you have to teach teach your kids to stand up for those things. So if you aren't strong enough and aren't brave enough to stand up for your family values, then your kids are going to see that and they are going to struggle with that as well. So think of it as being an example. If this is something that's important for you, you've got to stand up for it and you've got to be clear about it. Otherwise, your kids are going to continue to struggle with that. You want to set that example for them. Yeah, whether, no, that's a great whether point. It's, whether it's smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol when they're 15 or it's buying too many Christmas gifts whatever it is it's comes back to it's if it's a value for you then you need to stand up for it and make it important.
0: So what do you say to someone who'll say like, "Well, you're just taking the joy away from the grandparents and that's just how they show love."
1: Um, I would say that the kids have so much joy spending time with the grandparents and that there are so many non-material items that our kids gather from the grandparents. And sometimes getting all those gifts and presents and toys actually makes it harder for the kids to see all those beautiful gifts that spending time and having present grandparents can bring to them. So I think it's about getting kids to focus on the real gifts, which is family time and relationships rather than focusing on the material gifts that they're getting. And the material gifts can be really distracting. So I think that by scaling back on that, we're going to give our kids the opportunity to really connect more to the people in their lives.
0: Oh, yeah, that's so awesome. Well, and that's the thing is what I've noticed is because all four grandparents are just really amazing with our kids. Like they really are just so it's that's one of my favorite things about having kids. And I never really thought of that as something that I would enjoy but just to see our parents and their relationship with them but the kids don't care about the stuff so much like it's funny especially at my parents house. my mom had saved a bunch of our old toys so they're like old wooden like farms and like just you know I mean just these really old school toys and Luke thinks they're like the coolest thing ever you know
1: <laughs> yes absolutely you know and he's using them
0: as a bath toys a this toy I mean like we don't need like the separate this toy and this he just was like he could play at that farm all day long and his his golf clubs and his baseball that he'd be happy you know and it's like he just wants to hang out with papa that's what he wants you know and so yep. so I'm trying to um say like let's if you want to buy them something buy them an experience like take them somewhere and do something with them versus like bringing them a piece of plastic
1: I don't know yes <laughs> I I completely agree with that and I feel like once you've moved into that mindset of buying experiences you almost move into the mindset of you don't even need to buy experiences. You just need to have experiences, right? So whether it's taking them to Disney world or taking them on a hike, right? It doesn't have to cost money. It's more about the time spent together. And, and I know there's a lot of people that say, you know, let's buy me a membership to the zoo, that sort of thing. And, I think that that's really wonderful, mostly for the reason that I think that you're moving away from buying tangible gifts and moving towards appreciating the intangible, 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 whichever that is, yeah, <laughs> gifts for our kids. Which sort of that's part of the journey, right? Moving in that direction. So I think that that is a great idea. Whenever we can encourage family members and friends to do that. Yes.
0: Oh, good. I love this. And it really is. I mean, I found for myself. I'm sure it's like this with everyone. It really is a process. I think it's like you have to kind of figure out what your comfort level is with it. Because, you know, I do love that book, The Life-Changing Magic. But I think some of her approach is unrealistic for a lot of people. Like it's just some people don't have the time to just do it all at once. And it's like, okay, you know, if that doesn't work for your family and you right now, like you do it slowly. But then there's also just so many other elements to the process. Like we were saying, that could work for a while, but then you might just end up getting more stuff. Or like I started with organizing and I thought organizing was, Was decluttering and it was really just moving my stuff around into boxes. Yeah,
1: (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. And it
0: became really obvious this year when I went in my guest closet and I had like 20 empty bins and I was like, oh, yep. Cause all that stuff's gone.
1: Yes. (laughs) I had the the empty bin problem too. And it's a good problem to have because it's easier to get rid of empty bins than it is to get rid of all the stuff inside of them. So <laughs> it's moving in the right direction for oh, sure. Oh my gosh. Okay.
0: So, and when did you start Simple Families and kind of why and how did that come about? Because it's like, it was an online kind of company, right?
1: Yes. So I started, I had a blog to maybe three years ago at, that I started with, and I was focusing on feeding children and getting kids to eat real food. And that was based on my research interests. That was during the time I was working my PhD. And during that time I started is when I started being exposed to minimalism for the first time. And I started dabbling in minimalism. And then I started to write a little bit about that. And I realized that it was something not only that I was passionate about. But it was something that my audience was passionate about, too. So I decided to take sort of a time out to gather my thoughts. And I shut down CryptoTable. And I spent a summer really... So it would have been not this past summer, but the summer before, really making plans to launch Simple Families, to create a community and a space for parents who wanted to raise their kids more intentionally and wanted to raise them more in a simple, practical way, that they knew would help their kids to thrive. So, I launched Simple Families in November of last year. So, it'll be 1 year old in November.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. That's not very old. You've really created an amazing community so fast.
1: Yeah, it has grown so fast, and I think it's really in response to the fact that this is there's just such a need for this and there's such a need for parents to scale back and It's interesting. There's sort of this conundrum of there's so much pressure for parents to do everything and to be everywhere all the time and to enrich their lives of their children so much. But the reality is that doing everything and being everywhere is really not in the best interest of our kids. So I wrote this post, a blog post several months ago about why I don't do Pinterest activities with my kids. And I laid out like the nine reasons why I don't do any kind of organized pre-planned activity like that with my kids. And the reality is that I just prefer for my kids to, number one, play independently, to be creative and to create their own activities and their own works. And that's not where my time and energy is best spent. So, and I think that sort of gets to the root of the appeal of Simple Families is that we as mothers, we need to do less. And when we do less, our kids actually benefit. So, the message is that relax. What you're doing right now is absolutely enough. And the more you do, the more stress and anxiety not only are you creating for yourself but you're also creating for your kids as well. And we know that stress and anxiety has become an epidemic in childhood. So finding ways that we can combat that and slow down the lives of our kids is only going to benefit them as they grow and develop.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, the fact that you grew the business so fast, is exactly what you said. There is such a need. I mean, I'm so grateful. I thought that you'd been doing it for years. That's amazing.
1: No, yeah, it's just been a very exciting, busy year for Simple Families. (laughs) Go figure, busy. Even though I'm trying to be unbusy, but yeah, it's been really wonderful to see the response and to see how many people are passionate about this very subject and to spread this message.
0: Yeah, and I I think the long term effects of it for all of us, adults and kids, is so important because, like you said, there's this epidemic of anxiety in kids and adults. I mean, we're all so stressed all
1: the time, and so. I rarely meet a mother who is not anxious these days. I feel like anxiety in motherhood is just, it's through the roof, you know, this idea that you need to know everything and to be present everywhere all the time, but it's not realistic and it's really unhealthy for us and it's unhealthy for our kids to see us being so anxious all the time.
0: Well, sure. Because then again, they mirror that. Yes, exactly. Okay, well, so you wrote an article, Parenting Like a Minimalist, and even if you're not a minimalist, like, and because I, I always, whenever I say the word minimalist, I always kind of try to put, you know, a couple extra words to, like, because a lot of people just think of it as like, oh, this isn't for me. I'm not going to live in a white house with five items, you know? <laughs>
1: And it's much more than that. Yeah, that doesn't
0: have to be what it is, right? So it can be kind of whatever you want it to be. But so don't like, you know, load up the word minimalist here in this article. And we'll post that. And I'll also post, I'm going to post links to everything that we talked about and your website and all that stuff in the show notes. But so you talk a little bit about there's like five steps, I guess. So the first one is hover less and your children will live more.
1: This is something that's so important. I mean, I go to the playgrounds and I watch the parents who are standing right over their children and saying, don't do that. You're climbing too high. Stop. Don't go up that ladder. That slide is too high. You need to be careful. Are you being careful? And this constant concern about safety, whether or not it's actually really warranted. And when we do that, when we hover over our kids and we constantly present them with safety concerns that are sometimes ambiguous or oftentimes ambiguous, we're communicating to our kids that they're not capable and we're communicating to them that they need to be concerned and worried because we're concerned and worried. So if we really want our kids to be confident in their abilities and to be confident in their bodies, we need to believe in them and we need to let them take risks.
0: Mm, Oh, I love that. Now, I don't know if this is really related to that. But it's funny, when I go to the park with my son, he always wants me to play with him. And I'm trying to be the parent that's not like on the slide and doing everything with him. Do you have any suggestions?
1: I think it's totally fine to play with your kids on the playground if you want to. But if you don't want to, I also wouldn't do it just feeling out of obligation. I think that sometimes our kids, different kids want this to a different degree. Some kids want us to follow them around and to hold their hand and just to be really close to them the whole time while they're playing. And if you don't want to do that, I would sit down on the bench and invite your child to sit with you if they want to sit with you. But if not, then they can go off and play. And most of the time they'll in, they'll sit down with you for a minute or two and then they will run off and play. But instead of following your child around, giving them the opportunity to be close to you, but doing it on more adult terms. Be like, I'm going to sit down here and rest for a few minutes. And if you want to sit, you can sit with me. But if you want to go play, go right ahead. I'll be watching you from a distance.
0: And what if they like pull at you and scream and say,
1: Mommy, come with me. You just stay strong. Like, <laughs> yes, stay strong. And I think staying strong is sort of a a good motto for parenting and that once you've said something one time and you've made a decision with it about it and it's something you're trying to teach your kids sticking with it is it's not being mean it's not being stern it's teaching kids that this is a limit and this is a boundary and this is the expectation so we're going to be at the playground and if you want to spend a half an hour sitting next to me on the bench that's totally okay and I'm perfectly happy to have you cuddled up next to my side but if you want to play that's great too so giving them that option Okay, I'm
0: gonna try that. Okay. (laughs) Good luck. I know my son's a clinger, and he just wants us to be with him doing everything with him. You know, and I worry that he, you know, he's just not, he doesn't want to take any risks at all. You know, and so I worry that he's going to be, I don't know, just scared all the time as an adult. So I want him to go do
1: stuff on his own, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and he'll outgrow a lot of that. But I do think that it will be encouraging to him if you have the confidence in him that he can do it himself. So the more he sees that you're confident in him and that you know that he's capable, the more he's going to be able to take those risks. So and it's one of those things. And it's not the words that we say, it's the way that we interact with them and our confidence in them generally, that really gives them the confidence to step out and do that. So by saying like, hey, you got this, you can climb up this ladder all by yourself. And I'm going to sit right here and watch you. And I'm so excited to see you succeed. And just giving them that confidence in trying a new way, I think goes a long ways, not immediately, but with some effort, it definitely does. Okay.
0: Okay. So the second one is entertain less and your children will innovate more.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on society and on parents today to entertain our kids and to provide activities and constructive things for them to do. And what we really know in child development research is that the more open-ended free play that kids get, the more they learn to innovate and to create. And we need to give our kids the space and time to do that instead of feeling insecure that we're not doing enough as parents and trying to fill in those blank spaces and gaps, just letting that be and letting our kids be bored and understanding that there is actually a real benefit to that. Yes. Okay. Okay.
0: The third one which I love is schedule less and your children will rest more and I always feel like I would started to feel inadequate because my friends even at when Luke was like pretty little they would have like 5 days a week they'd be like we we'll go to swim on Mondays and you know gymrie on Tuesdays and I was like we have one class a week we go to <laughs> you know
1: yeah. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of classes really in early childhood at all. Like I think that kids need to socialize, but it's much better off when it's done in an unstructured way. I remember I took my son to a a demo class. I think it was at the little gym or somewhere like that. And it was super intense and like the coach was just really loud and like giving all these demands of the kids to do this, do that. And it was very directive. It was telling the kids exactly what they should be doing. And most of the kids had no interest in doing what the coach wanted them to be doing. So they were doing their own thing, which is what little kids should be doing. They should be doing their own thing. But my son, who usually like goes with the flow and is very easygoing, he tried to run for the door three times. Like he was like out of there. And finally, the third time I was in my head, I was thinking, you know what, I want to get out of here, too. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, let's go. (laughs) So we just (laughs) bailed after like 20 minutes. And the reality was that, you know, it was just, I know that he really thrives in an unstructured setting where he can just play and be free to explore whatever he wants at his own pace. And so the highly structured classes in early childhood, I think that they serve the purpose of making parents feel like they're really providing this enriched childhood education experience for their kids. But the reality is that kids don't need that. And it's actually better just to let our kids kind of play and do their own thing and be unstructured. But it's hard for a lot of adults to sort of wrap their head around that idea.
0: So how does that compare to say like the theory of putting your kids in like a preschool of Montessori where it is structured? Or I guess it's not structured.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the best early childhood settings, so daycares, preschools, Montessori school, whatever it is, are ones that are play-based and child-led. So they're ones where the kids are able to explore what they want to do at their own pace on their own time rather than having a teacher that's leading them around telling them exactly oh. what to do. Okay, so I, it. I think that's always the best thing to look for. Like who is setting the agenda in the classroom? Like are the kids being told they need to make a snowman with the eyeballs here and the hat here and the nose here? Or are they allowed to create whatever kind of artwork they want?
0: Yeah. It's funny because we did Little Gym for a while. My son had the same experience. My daughter loves it, but she just wants to run all over. And I'm like, why don't they just have open play with music? Like, this place is great. Like, the kids just want to run all over. And I always felt bad because my kids didn't want to go to the big red mat and do, like, what, you know? And I'm like,
1: yeah. Well, And then it leaves us feeling like our kids are inadequate if they're not doing what the teacher asks them to do, what the coach asks them to do. And I actually went to a birthday party there and it was very structured. There were all these activities. And of course, none of the kids wanted to do any of the activities. They just wanted to run around and play in the equipment, understandably so. And I asked another parent, I was like, why is it that they have all that, all these like activities and games? Why don't they just let the kids play? And they said that it was requested by the parents. So the parents wanted the structured activities, which they think that's the best thing for kids when the reality is usually it's best for kids just to be left alone to play and to create and to interact on their own devices.
0: Uh, Yeah, and it's really, I learn so much from my kids. It's amazing to see their creativity and what they come up with, with just like whatever's around the house or wherever they are, when they're allowed to just be free, you know? Yes, exactly. Uh, Okay, number four, referee less and your children will problem solve more.
1: Yes. So especially if you have more than one kid, you develop the tendency to try to fix all the problems and to solve all the battles. And the result is that the kids don't learn how to do it for themselves. So when you have multiple children or you have, you know, kids who have cousins or friends who are, they're very close to, letting them work out their own interpersonal challenges is so beneficial for them in the long run because we know that these early relationships, in particular sibling relationships, are really teaching kids how to have relationships with people outside the home when they're older. So it's like, It's really ugly and awkward at home and they're, you know, knock down, drag out, fight all the time, argue. They're practicing all those skills at home so that when they go out in the real world, they'll be really skilled and they'll know how to properly interact with other people. But often at home, it looks very uncomfortable and very irritating to parents and we want to jump in and solve everything. But, you know, that conflict actually serves a lot of purpose.
0: So like let them scream and do their thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, as much as possible. And it's okay. funny, we just moved into a new home and our other home, I had the playroom, we had a little playroom and I turned our formal dining room into a play area. So it was right off of the kitchen. So when I was in the kitchen cooking or doing the dishes, like I could see the kids and be monitoring them all the time. And our new home is very old and the the layout is not like anything I've ever seen before. But the area where I ended up making their play area is really, really far from the kitchen. And at first, I like I can barely hear them when they're over there. It's it's not that it's that it's just that, like there's a long wraparound hallway to get there. And the house being so old has really thick walls. So I don't even really hear them when they're over there. I can hear like ear piercing screams, but that's pretty much it. But at first, I was really concerned about, you know, not being able to supervise the play. But it's actually been this really beautiful thing because they probably are doing they're both still alive and nothing's broken. <laughs> but I imagine that they're working through all those struggles together that I used to jump in on without really doing it on purpose because I was right there. So me being out of sight and out of earshot has actually been a really cool thing for my kids relationship.
0: Oh, that's so cool. So my kids are just starting to play. They play and they love each other and then they fight. But so I was doing the same thing and I listened to one of your podcasts that said, you know, not to get involved. Although my little one bites so I have to sometimes get involved. Mine but does too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she's she's spicy, but that's um, how they communicate when they can't talk yet. <laughs> I know. Those really
0: big feelings. <laughs> she's got a lot of them, let me tell you. But they did break a lamp and they broke this like part of a window shutter. And now the lamp, I was like, okay, well, that was in our room. So the door should have been shut. So that was a good lesson for mom. And then, then the window, I was like, well, it's just going to happen eventually. <laughs> yeah. But I was so proud of myself because I was like, I'm staying in the kitchen and I'm going to let them play. And then I was like, well, then I kept (laughs) thinking, should I have done that, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And of course, within reason and making sure that, you know, their area that they're in is safe. And that they know where you are and they know how to get find you if, in fact, anything comes up. I'm not recommending don't supervise your kids because, of course, small kids need to be supervised all the time. But giving them more space than you would typically. So, like, my inclination and my type A personality would leave me to hover over my kids constantly and be constantly watching them on a video monitor and that sort of thing if I didn't really fight that. And I have to fight that desire on a regular basis because I know how much they need some autonomy and they need some independence from me. So I have to be really purposeful about giving them that space and making them that space.
0: I love that. That's such good advice. And I think too, like it's, um, it actually ends up giving us so much freedom too. Cause it's like, you can just get a breath, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Have a moment to yourself or, you know, wash a dish or I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Do fun stuff like that. Oh yeah, exactly. Go to the bathroom by yourself. That's a new one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. So the last one is buy less and your children will seek more. And I think we pretty much covered that throughout the whole intro, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, the less that we're providing for our kids, the more they're going to create and they're more they're going to realize the real gifts in life. And, you know, this comes from anything from like if you buy your kids a small set of play food and there's no hamburger, you know, they're going to take the cookie and pretend that the cookie is the hamburger. So kids really do begin to innovate and to create when they aren't given everything. And on top of that, I think that it does buying less leads your kids to seek more impactful, intentional relationships with the people in their lives.
0: Yes. Oh, it's so true. I love that. Hey, Sparker Tribe. So Nicole and I have talked about this a lot. You know that we are obsessed with organizing and keeping our space clear, and there is a very good reason. It gives you energy, it clears your mind, and gets you excited to do whatever it is that you wanna do in your life, all from just clearing your space. So I created a free email challenge to help you do just that. It's called the 7 Days to Make Your Life Sparkle Challenge. Go to AngelaWagnerCoaching.com slash Sparkle, put in your email address, and every day I will send you one simple task that you can do to clean out your physical and digital clutter. Oh boy. There is a main challenge as well as a bonus challenge for each project. So this is a very simple, easy, and free way to start to take action in your life and help you discover what it is that sparks you. Again, that's com slash Sparkle. Okay, so you're amazing. Thank you so much for being part of the show and helping me out personally with my family stuff. So how can people get a hold of you?
1: Sure. You can visit SimpleFamilies.com and if you click get started, you can stay in touch with the email list and what's going on in the blog and on the podcast there. That's the best way to stay in touch. Or you can email me at Danae at simplefamilies.com. That's D-E-N as in Nancy, A-Y-E at simplefamilies.com.
0: Okay, cool. And we'll post at AngelaWegnerCoaching.com. And we'll post the episode in the show notes. I'll put all the links to all of her social media, her, all that stuff. Like you guys, if you're a parent, listen to her podcast. It's it's very short, like nine, 10 minutes at the most. And it's all answering parents' questions. She's answered one of mine. I think mine was like the one um, that was probably the most embarrassing question. Did you know it was me when I wrote it?
1: I did, yes. (laughs) I don't. No one else did, though. So don't worry. I know.
0: I was. I played it for my husband, and he said, "Oh, she didn't say Dallas." And I'm like, "Yeah, funny she didn't." I think she did that on purpose.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Embarrassed my poor kid, but um, no. And you know what? That episode has gotten a lot of traction. Like there are just so many people that have questions and they don't want to ask them. You know, it's sort of things that are taboo. It's harder to. Harder to find the right venue to ask those kind of things.
0: Absolutely. I mean, just so you guys know, I just ask because my, you know, Luke is just likes he's found his penis and he likes to masturbate a lot. (laughs) And so, you know, I was just asking her about kind of handle that. But again, that's such a natural part of life. And I think it's one of those things like, I don't know, I think it's silly that we're embarrassed to talk about it because it's, you know, I mean, my friends were like, what? He's doing what? I'm like, well, I did it when I was little. Like, I mean, it feels good. Like, you know, so. (laughs) I think we normalize it it, and we don't want to
1: scare our kids and we don't want to teach them that they're wrong or that they're bad or dirty or anything like that because of it.
0: Yeah. And whether it's masturbating or any other things that we talk about with parenting, I think it's like we can just kind of take the judgment away. And like we say on this podcast, like (laughs) there's no such thing as oversharing. Like, you know, it's just there's so many things that happen and that we have questions about. And the more that we can really be open to each other and just have conversations like this, it's just we're all going to succeed and feel better and our kids are going to thrive. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I know you also, I haven't done this yet, but I I think I'm going to probably do it to see um, how I'm doing with the toys, but you do a toy detox,
1: right? I do. Yeah. It's a pretty quick and easy online program that guides parents to decluttering the toys in a very intentional way. And how do you choose the toys that are really going to help your children to thrive and develop? And how do you move through the process step-by-step?
0: Awesome. Okay, so definitely do that. I think that's such an awesome quick way. And I think it's really inexpensive for you to just start this process. And then that'll kind of get a bunch of stuff going after that. So yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, I want to give a shout out to all the parents of the world, because we're all doing the best we can. And just again, like finding communities and people that support you is so important in this journey. But it really is the most important job. And we're raising the future People of the world, so it's it's pretty amazing. I'm pretty honored to be a parent. So, next week on the Spark Podcast, we are like Airbnb. Is that a verb? Yeah. How do you say that? Airbnb. (laughs) That's exactly what I say. Airbnb. (laughs) Let's do that again, right? So, Sarah and I decided to already add a segment. We're calling it "Brilliant Moment of the Week." Oh, it is brilliant. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you, Danae, again, and thank you all for listening to this episode of Spark. If you have a few extra minutes, if you could please do an act of kindness and leave us a review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends. It really helps us out to spread the word. And again, you can find the show notes, blog posts, all the info on Danae at AngelaWagnerCoaching.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Coach A. Wags. Remember this week to take the time to give thanks, raise a glass, and discover what it is that sparks you.